Welcome back to another edition of Billy West Live. Great pleasure to welcome Dr. Greg Granger, Northwestern State University political science professor. And uh, Greg, it's just great to get you back to talk some politics. The midterm elections uh, just a few days ago. Give me your thoughts. Uh, well, thanks, Billy. It's always good to be here and be part of the show. Um, yeah, busy time of the semester, of course, here, getting towards the end. Um, but you're right. We just went through uh, rather historic uh, midterm elections in the sense that a lot of expectations were upset uh, with the Democrats keeping the Senate and we'll see possibly expanding their lead in the Senate by a vote depends on how Georgia comes out. And that one vote can actually make a big difference. Um, and of course, it's kind of a balance of power with the House. It's now been declared that the Republicans will have the majority. But if I'm not mistaken, they're only going to have a majority of one or two seats, which means they keep their they've got to keep their coalition together and keep everybody voting at a very high level of what we call party unity. Um, that's tough to do on, on a lot of major issues where there might be some tendency to compromise amongst a couple of members. Um, so it's, um, it's going to be another exciting time in American politics. And of course, the other side of this, for better or worse, is we're kicking off the presidential campaign, um, sure. you know, after the midterms, it always kind of kicks the season off, and it, it'll start really heating up probably, what, February, March, probably 2023 sure. is when it starts. Let's, let's at least try to get through Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you mentioned about keeping your coalition together. The Democrats fought that for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. keeping Joe Manchin in line, Kristen Cinema. You know, they seemed to sure. block some of the major legislation until they finally got some bipartisan things done in the last six months. But that will be the Republicans' challenge now mm-hmm. is keeping their coalition together in the House. Um, but I would like you maybe to take a little bit more time explain why it's important to the country and to the Democrats to get that extra vote in the Senate for purpose of committee assignment. Why is that sure. important? Explain that. Well, it, under the 50-50 uh, balance of power that we've had for the last couple of years, uh, most people might know that the vice president uh, actually serves as president of the Senate in a ceremonial position, but in a very... Uh, consequential position of the tiebreaker. The vice president serves as president of the Senate when there's a tie vote, and we've had quite a few of those in the last couple of years with a 50-50 Senate. But the other side of that is the makeup of the major standing committees, the policy-making committees. Mm-hmm. With a 50-50 vote, even though the Democrats technically had a majority with the vice president's vote, they split the committees fairly evenly uh, in terms of membership. With a 51-50 split, the Democrats will have the majority and more of an, uh, an agenda of power, uh, ability to shape their agenda more powerfully than would even just 50 members. And the uh, committees aren't split 50-50. It actually would favor the Democrats by vote, I believe, in committee. Exactly. And, and, and that makes a big difference in moving your legislation. Uh, it does. I mean, we're, we're, we're living in a time, um, you know, where the committee chairs are not as powerful as they used to be, right? right? In the 70s and 80s, the the committee chairs had a lot of the power, but then starting in the 80s and 90s with Newt Gingrich and people like that, Tip O'Neill and Newt Gingrich, we had strong speakers of the House, strong majority minority leaders. And that's where we are right now. The party leaders are more important. And political scientists will tell you it's either one or the other usually. You have a high concentration of power, um, with the party leaders in charge, or you have kind of a decentralized Congress with the committees in charge. The era we're living in right now, the parties have more of the power. Mm-hmm. But as you say, it also means more responsibility and uh, more risk-taking, more uh, more stakes. You know, they have to be sure to keep every member voting together, which means making concessions. Sure, uh, We're already seeing the talk of what Kevin McCarthy may or may not do to try to get that speakership. Well, that's where I was heading the conversation, yeah. was to talk about, it looks like the 
Republicans are going to end up with 218, maybe 219, maybe 220, mm-hmm. but one, two, or three vote majorities, what the modeling seems to suggest as we do this interview. It may change yeah, exactly. by the next day or so when this airs. But, you know, Kevin McCarthy has um, some real challenges on his hands with, you know, the, the Freedom Caucus and his own caucus within the, the Republican Party. Talk about that side of it, because you, you talked about the Senate and the Democrats' challenge. Mm-hmm. Talk about the Republicans' challenge on the House side. Well, that's that's primarily it. First of all, they got to figure out what their leadership is, uh, what their agenda is. Uh, you know, they, they, there's a lot of firebrands in the party, just like the Democrats have a few firebrands, and there are people who want to do investigations. They're not talking about policy as much as there are process and mm-hmm. kind of revenge sort of talk with um, investigating the president or his president's son, which may need to happen, whatever. But it's a matter of what are their priorities? What is their platform? Because the party has not really run on a platform in the last several years, even the last presidential administration. It's been run by personalities instead of policies. And so that's now the big question is, are they going to continue in that um, in that mode or are they going to get really in a policymaking mode? And I think that's what Kevin McCarthy would like to do is just kind of normalize the party, uh, tamp down the firebrands and come up with a policy agenda uh, and possibly try to work with the Democrats in going forward. But there are enough people in the House, uh, in the Republican coalition, to make to make, it, make some trouble for them, to, to, to say we're not going to allow the policy agenda to go through unless we have these investigations and, yeah. and such as that. So um, when I talk about coalitions, we obviously have a, what we call a two-party system, but each party is so large, you know, compared to, say, most parliamentary systems in Europe where you have many smaller parties sharing power. Uh, with our two large parties, each one is necessarily a coalition of separate interests that are kind of combined together out of necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, under any other political system, like a parliamentary system, many of our individual pieces of our political parties, like the Freedom Caucus, um, like the Squad or whatever it might be on the left, uh, many of them would actually be their own political party. But here but we have, have to our, caucus with a bigger group to get anything a, done. We have right? a winner-take-all yeah. system, which means only you know these two big parties are going to ones that win, and therefore um, it's a coalition. So therefore, you have to manage the various elements of the coalition. Well, we could do a whole other show on this, but I actually study politics a lot and read about things. <laughs> sure. But Israel, I can't figure out. So I want to do a whole other show with you <laughs> okay. on, on Israeli politics because that fascinates me, how they just form new governments all the time. Well, it is, a, it is the, the yeah. purest example of a parliamentary system we have. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good I want example. you to explain. I, I need you to come back one day and sure. just have a, a, a whole show on Israel. Okay. <laughs> Isra- Israeli <laughs> politics. That fascinates me. But to go back to our midterms, is there – and you're the political scientist and historian, and you know, is, is there some – message that Americans can take from the, the midterms that maybe we're going to move away from the extremes? Uh, I think mm-hmm. most people in the middle, 50, 60 percent of us who are in the middle that get tugged both ways, I think most people are yearning for that. Did the American people say that in the midterms in your view? It seems like it. I mean, many of the, you know, what the media would call the election deniers or the more extremist elements, especially on the Republican Party, did lose on their secretaries of state and their governorships, things like that, and, and even House seats and, and the Senate. So it's tempting to say that. But it's also t- easy to speak too soon. You know, mm-hmm. I think we just got to see how this is going to shake out, especially with the presidential election heating up, because that can repolarize the people once again, because we will have 
with an active primary uh, election. Uh, I don't think Joe Biden's going to be primary from within his own party, but with, who knows, maybe a dozen or more Republicans seeking their own uh, nomination, we are going to see a lot of divisiveness because that's what primary elections do. They, they chop up the electorate to a certain extent, and then they have to supposed to reunify for the general election. Well, it's kind of tough to do. And so I think to say, certainly we cannot say all divisions are healed or that the United States is not, population is not polarized anymore. But I do believe it's a positive sign in the sense that I think many Americans are saying we want government to get something done. Whether it's a deregulatory mode or a active government mode, whatever direction it might be, it's about policy and not personalities, not name calling, not the um, the kind of ugliness we've had for for quite a few years now, going back far too long, to be honest. Twenty years, probably. You know, it's, it's it's not so. just the last Trump years. It's been a, no, di- no. It's going been a back to the people, um, history, well, the early days of people history. like Manafort and people like Lee Atwater and some people on the left who were driving divisiveness. I, it, it's time to really focus on. Uh, you know, who the United States is, first of all, in the world. You know, we sure. usually talk about foreign policy, and I think we have to have an important discussion about about that situation, uh, about American leadership and uh, balance of power against other perhaps threatening countries. Uh, but, of course, the domestic agenda as well, and we have to be able to talk to each other to be able to do that. Well, in deregulation, you made, you know, there were some things Trump did get accomplished during his his uh, tenure and and deregulation probably was one of them. Trying to expand some business opportunities sure. for corporations and those kind of things, which are popular. Uh, some of the things he did weren't popular. And again, you get to personality over policy, and that's a different debate and a whole nother show. But I did want to turn the discussion to to Nancy Pelosi and again personalities. You know, Nancy Pelosi gets demonized by people on the right all the time, but. You know, for all of the rights bluster about being anti-China and those kind of things, there was no more fierce critic of China than Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I, I don't see. I mean, um, first of all, she represents an area of California uh, where the Pacific Ocean is very important in terms of fishing, in terms of the, the economy of the area, and that is in competition with, with much of Asia. Um, you know, I see her more as a party leader, as a as leading her coalition, as keeping her coalition together. Uh, as Speaker of the House, she she had that responsibility and not a whole lot to do necessarily with, with foreign policy. But I've never seen the direct evidence that people are talking about. It, it seems to be not just with, with Ms. Pelosi, but really with any of these major personalities, this, this, this temptation to tie them to something as you say, evil or demonic or something, are yeah. or, or, or very threatening to American interests. And, uh, and again, I think that's a, um, a symbol of the polarization that we're living in. And the fact is, anybody, you know, going back to Tip O'Neill, going back to Newt Gingrich, anybody in that position of power, and as I say, the speakership is a powerful position these days, uh, if the party allows it to be powerful, anybody in that position is going to come under criticism. Well, and I don't, and, I don't bring her name up know. to defend her on all policies either. No. It's just it's become personality yes. over policy. It really has. And it, she was easy to demonize on the left. Trump is somewhat easy to demonize, even if you think he's on the right, whether he is or not. But, you know, who knows what his philosophy is? Right. We don't really know. But it's become personality-driven. And it's easy in the South, especially, to say, well, she's a San Francisco liberal. Right. She's actually right. extremely hawkish on certain issues. Yeah, and she— I think represents her voters. I mean, that's what these house people are supposed to do. But uh, I think history will show her 
I don't think history is going to really show her as necessarily a polarizing filter uh, person in the sense that she sought polarization. Yeah. Uh, but as you say, pe- uh, say people in, in position of power like that are, are going to attract negative perceptions and, and criticism. So she's weathered it rather strongly. I mean, she's 82 years old. She doesn't have to be doing this. And uh, with all with the thing, you know, with the attack on her husband recently, it, it'd mm-hmm. be really easy to see her just saying goodbye, you know, and going home. But she is going to be leave stuff down. She's not going to be uh, going for the majority leader position. So she's just going to be a, a House member. And that's probably a smart move because we're getting a lot of these uh, 70s and 80s, you know, uh, I think leaders, for the country, it's leaders. I think it's time for new leadership to step it, up. It usually both, is. Both so we, we go through this quite quite often. Um, yeah. Our leadership is always quite this elderly, and I'm certainly not being ageist. I think uh, it's impressive that these people do the job every day. I agree. Uh, it really is. But we also need to make room for a new generation. What Miss Pelosi could do very well, I don't think anybody would criticize her from any side of the spectrum, is she can count. She could yes. whip her votes, and she could figure out what she needed to get legislation passed and work with Republicans. Republicans a few times in the past, not the recent past, but to get things done. I'm going to turn that comment into asking you a question. You know, Republicans need to learn how to count. They're losing elections, and they're losing them in, you know, in some not close, but they've lost women, they've lost young people, they have gained in the Latino vote, but as mm-hmm. a political scientist, you know, in my view, it, it, they need to learn how to count. They're losing these elections on policy issues. They've gone too much for personality, but what are your views on how Republicans correct the ship? Well, again, first thing they have to figure out is who's going to be their spokesperson and who's going to be their leadership, and whether it's going to be one of the more firebrand type of members or whether it's going to be somebody more leading towards either the center or at least a leadership position. Um, but that remains to be seen, uh, and whether or not they follow their leader once they establish it, it remains to be seen. But they've got to come up with a platform. They've got to come up with a set of issues that they're willing to tackle. Uh, we, we've got plenty of them to go through. And, of course, there is a temptation, you know, within, this, I think, the Republican Party to simply not deal with certain issues that I, you and I feel I think are quite important, for example, climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to see where that goes. I think the American public... Uh, are rightfully concerned with the increasing severity of storms and droughts and fires and things that we're seeing over the over the years and the years to come. And so what exactly is their position? Is it to do nothing, to ignore it, or to just take common sense um, policy directives that, you know, you don't have to believe that everything people do causes great climate change to see that there are uh, challenges that we can deal with by having more resilient buildings, more resilient coastline, mm-hmm. you know, just common sense policy. So I think if, if the Republican Party can normalize itself into a policymaking party, mm-hmm. then it'll be fine and it will have an argument and it can have a, a successful presidential campaign perhaps. Uh, but if it continues to bicker among itself— yeah. And allow some of these voices, uh, the Greens, the Jordans, the Gates, if they allow these voices to really be the, the spokespersons for the party, then I think they're just in for more division and um, less success. All right. Last question i got to ask you. I mean, Trump, is, is he the presumptive nominee in your view for 24? And is Biden the presumptive nominee on the other side? 
Uh, I think the easier answer is the Biden one. It certainly seems like it. I mean, anything can happen in the next couple of years, given his age and things like that. Uh, he could fall ill. We, we don't know what's going on. But so far, it really looks like the party is willing right now to unite behind him. There, there, there are some voices who, who don't want to, but may not find much of a choice. On the Republican side, I do not think Mr. Trump is the presumptive nominee. I think it's far too early to say that. Um, He's going to try to replay his playbook from the last time, probably to some degree. He felt it was very successful. Um, you know, he doesn't really acknowledge that he received fewer votes than the other side in two, in 2016. Yeah. So that you know, that you, you got to be realistic about these things. And I think that's where some of the other Republican leaders, uh, maybe Mr. DeSantis and others, uh, have an advantage. Uh, I think they could. Uh, they speak about the future. They're not talking about the past anymore. And I think that's... Um, and the recent past is pretty ugly. It is. And, uh, well, this business of rehashing the 2020 election. But um, the January 6th, it can't, you know, we can't ignore it. I know. That I, mean, that, that, I think, you, is you very just, important. You just and, can't ignore it. But, uh, Greg, I, I'm, I'm interested, you know, as we move through the next 90 days or so, you know, President Biden may make some decisions in January that could be important to this process. But it's just always great to get your thoughts. I appreciate and, it. Uh, to have you on, lots of really interesting things in the world. Quickly, mm-hmm. your comments on the missile issue in Poland. Uh, right. does, does it seem to be just an accident, or is this some intentional act by Russia? No, I believe it is an accident. I, I believe what is intentional is Russia throwing a whole lot of rockets and bombs, and actually they're running out of many of them, but using these Iranian drones, using their Iskander rockers, uh, cruise missiles, um, you know, that's the problem. Uh, that's what caused this, is that Russia's doing this, I won't say indiscriminate bombing, because they're going after civilian targets, they're going after infrastructure, they're going after energy supplies. That is the problem. The reaction is to throw missiles at the missiles, what we call missile defense. And I believe that's what happened, is that one of these um, uh, missile defense technology went wrong and somehow flew into the Polish territory and had this tragedy of, of a couple of people dying there. But I think the president of Poland is ready to move ahead with it. The president of Ukraine resisted. We don't know exactly what's going on there. I think we're going to need some time to sort out what happened. But I think now he's getting back on track and saying, okay, we recognize what happened. Maybe not there yet, but it seems to be going in that direction. So I think this was a tragic accident. Uh, to me, the blame still lies very much with Russia because they're the ones that are uh, you know, doing this attack, unprovoked, illegal attack on Ukraine. And uh, I believe that is the ultimate cause of the problem here. Well, when a missile lands in a NATO country, the hair on the back of your neck stands yes, up. I, I think you and I were texting Sunday uh, or Saturday, Monday, whenever it happened. It, it, it makes you, you stand yeah. up and listen and pay attention because that's dangerous. And to be honest, uh, it may have the ultimate effect of keeping the trajectory of unifying NATO together because there is right. always the risk of coalition partners kind of slipping away. But certainly Poland and all the countries kind of on the border there of, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, the, the former Soviet Union, um, they're, they're very attentive to what's happening. But sure. you've got countries like Germany and maybe others who have their own domestic thing going on, maybe are less willing to stay engaged in the Ukrainian fight. Well, things like this can refocus the mind. Well, so many issues affected by NATO, world food supply, you name it. Everything exactly. gets affected by these things. But Greg Granger, so great to have you back on. I learn so much from you every time you're on. It's so great to have you as a regular guest on Billy West Live. Thank you so much for joining us again and enlightening us with your information and knowledge. Thank you. Anytime, Billy. Thank Dr. You. Greg Granger from Northwestern State University has been our guest on Billy West Live. <laughs>